everyone. Welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. My guest for today is Steve Rhodes from the Beachwood Reporter. And this is going to be a recurring pieces that we do. Um, basically, a media criticism addition to our podcast. We're going to look at media reporting around crime, violence, and justice issues in Chicago. Decipher them, let you know when the media is being played, let you know when, for some reason, the CPD decides they want all the news about them all out on the same day, and the media wants to report, like, it's all an exclusive interview, even though there's like five, six, seven hits across the Chicago media in the same day. So we're going to start with um, coverage of the Chicago Police Department on May 15th. That was a Friday, and for some reason, the Chicago Police Department decided they wanted to make news on a Friday, and they did across six, seven media outlets all on the same day, and all reported as if they were exclusive. All right, so Steve, welcome to the podcast. We really appreciate you coming and joining us for this uh, voyage on our media criticism about justice issues here. So let's start out quickly just without going too in-depth of the pieces. What was your best piece of the six or seven that hit on May 5th? Well, my best piece is... It, this is all relative because I thought it was still not good, but I guess it would be the WBEZ reset interview that Jen White did, and it's not because it wasn't bad. It's just that the one thing she did was uh, bring up uh, the crime rates in Dallas when he when the uh, David Brown was a police chief there that didn't really aligned with the claims he was making. Now, bear in mind that I don't really believe there's any connection between the crime rates in Dallas and David Brown's police chiefing. I, I think that kind of causal relationship is fraught. Um, but it was really the only piece that seemed to at least in a small way challenge him, but it was still pretty crappy. I agree 100%. My best piece is also the reset interview on BEZ. And overall, and we've done, we did a Facebook Live interview about the coverage of David Brown before he was confirmed. And I will say that throughout this short period of time, only outlet that has been consistent with looking at any real data related to what his time was in Dallas has been BEZ. So it's, okay. it's not a shock that they would be the best out of this pack. And they were, that, that makes sense because they, they, you know, she cited their own analysis. Right, an analysis. You know, That's fascinating. Chicago media doing an analysis. Word, yeah. <laughs> yes, it okay. is. Okay. What was your worst piece? I'd have to say the Sun-Times piece because it was so filled with stenography, unvetted claims, cheerleading. Although, you know, the TV stations were pretty bad too. You know, I think, I think maybe I'm... I don't know if this is being unfair, but, you know, I hold the newspapers to a higher standard, and that's re that really is unfair. We expect so little out of TV news that it's like, yeah, whatever. I will tell you my worst you're, piece. So you're going to pick a TV station, right? I am going to pick a TV station. Yes. Okay. And you're probably right. Uh, man, maybe not. I mean, I, I'm open for disagreement, by you know, let's debate things. Um, my worst piece is the piece by Megan Hickey on CBS2 Chicago. And I will say that it's not just Megan's work in it, it's how CBS set it up. Because she's from the investigatives team. And this was the investigatives team making the superintendent answer the question. I found that kind of fraudulent in that 
as we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, this seemed like a planned hit from the media department and the CPD. So I found that to be bad. Also, Megan has some doozy, doozy quotes. I'll, I'll, re I'll read it. The former Dallas yeah, police please. chief brought violent crime to historic lows before he retired in 2016. That's the note that I made too on that piece. And, you know, one, I would think that if you're gonna do this, if you're, if you're gonna do this piece, you would at least look what others had done. And while a lot of it has been cheerleading, a lot of her other news from the Tribune and other television outlets, and to me, the Sun-Times has been the same way, BEZ has done enough analysis, basic as it is, to prove that that is just not what's going on. That's not what happened. That is my piece. In future episodes of this, we'll get on, we'll have other uh, categories. I'm going to just do two quick here, which is Best use of data, Wait, obviously. Can I just, can I just make, yeah. make one comment sure. real quick on that CBS2 piece? In fact, what WBEZ found was that it was nonviolent crimes that dropped to some level, you know, significantly under David Brum's tenure. Not, if they, so it's kind of the opposite. And it also says before he retired, but once he retired, the violent crime rates had gone back up. And then the next part that she said in there, he said that through community policing, he would do the same here in Chicago. That's just talk about surely. Like, okay, he said that. So. Right, and we have to anyway. report it. So, right, and so when you get to analyzing the data, and this goes into the manipulation that's been ongoing, that was ongoing in Dallas for years. He was obviously, we've talked about it before, he was definitely involved in it. He was involved in it supervising the, when he was deputy chief supervising the lieutenant who directly manipulated data in one of the scandals. And then there were at least one of two not two more scandals relating data manipulation. So you get the violent versus nonviolent. In his violent crime scandal, he recategorized, or while well, Deputy Chief, his lieutenant did, recategorized how they categorize attempted assaults, attempted batteries, aggravated assaults, aggravated batteries. And that turned violent crimes into nonviolent crimes or, or misdemeanors. I should say felonies to misdemeanors. And misdemeanors sometimes just didn't even get recorded. So when, right. you know, if you look at uh, one of the things Brown has been pushing, well, don't look at the homicide numbers or the murder numbers. Look at just the violent crime number. Well, yeah, if you look just at the violent crime and not counting shootings, you see, hey, wait a minute, the numbers did drop. But it turns out the Dallas News has reported on that. It was a scandal. There was a big scandal on it. You can go look at our Facebook Live interview if you want to go in depth on it. But that's why he does this. He's very skilled at talking around the question and trying to steer, steer the discussion. And if you look at nonviolent, yes, nonviolent did drop. But once again, he got caught in scandals, manipulating data around, of all things, car burglaries. And they had to re-examine yes. re, re 2,000 of those during his tenure. So that those are big problems when uh, news reporters and any reporters, let alone like CBS and a television, you just let his statements skate. What can we, it's hard to believe that, that, that the media would, could do so poorly, but we've, but, you know, we've been watching them do it this way for a really long time. And uh, um, yeah, you'd think, and it, it's interesting that he wants to divert, that David Brown divert away from looking at the murder rate because that's one thing uh, that, as we've talked about in the past, you can't really fake, like, because dead bodies are mm -hmm. dead bodies. So that's like, the, when you want to look at, if you're going to look at crime rates of any sort, 
that's the one place you can go to have some degree of certainty. And, you know, the reason, so I suspect that's why he wants to deflect attention that way. Right. And I, I want to give Jen White some credit on BEZ. She did push back in her interview with the superintendent. She definitely pushed yeah. back and was able to document, which BEZ, Patrick Smith of BEZ has done, which was for our viewers, the homicides. First of all, let me say that when Brown inherited the department and went from deputy chief to chief, all over the country, there had been 20 plus years of violent crime drops. Right. So in the BEV piece, when Jen White's like, yes, you got murder one year of your tenure, went down to a violent crime levels to really historic levels, but then it popped right back up. So if you look at your first year and your last year and you're looking for a downward trend, there was no such trend. There flat. isn't any. He said it was flat. Right. And he went to spin in spin mode. He's very good at it. He went into a spin mode where he says, well, if you look at my tenure for the number of homicides, I kept them under 200 every year, which no superintendent had previously done. And I had the least number of homicides of any superintendent's tenure. Well, yeah, because your years were 2010 or 11 to 2016, right? right? You inherited the- In America during that time. Exactly. So that doesn't show us anything about you, but- what this has shown is that he, I think what these series of inter interviews have shown and the little back that BEZ pushed is that he's a spin master. He, yeah. he really reminds me, um, he's far more talented than Eddie Johnson is at spinning. <laughs> and he honestly reminds me, he, I think he's going to go on the top. I'm sure he's going to find himself a place, earn himself a place on the top list of sp superintendent spinners. Him and McCarthy yeah. may go one. You know, they may tie for the top spot. I think McCarthy was and is a more sophisticated person. And I think his spin was maybe more sophisticated. But you're right, because what David Brown then, you know, said, well, if but you're going from my first year to my last year. But if you look at some of those individual years in between, you know, the, the sorry, everybody, the murder rate, you know, went, went down. It's like, so, <laughs> you know, that. A trend from start to finish is what you look at. Yes, and he does not want to look at that. He has, I think, for the most part, been able to skate on. You know, he had this thing he told his troops without actually, you know, saying it publicly. And then that leaked into a story I probably linked on purpose. We're going to get homicides to 300. Yeah. You know, I, sir, I think the city... I think it would be pretty remarkable if you could keep on the homicides for whatever your tenure years, four years, five years, if you can keep them under 500 consistently. Yeah. Right. I don't know what in your background thinks you're going to hit 300 and you can possibly hit it. Well, you know, he made this claim and this is one of the things that he said in one of the interviews. I think it was the Sun-Times that I felt uh, a follow-up question was, uh, was missed was he said, I have this belief system. And my belief system says that you have to believe it before you can make it happen. That's how he was uh, explaining how he thinks he can hit that mark. And what I wanna know is well, what belief system is that? Is that, is that a, a religious thing? Because in his, in his book, he's a, it's clear he's a very religious man. Yep. Or is that like a, the secret thing, like you have to 
you can uh, manifest <laughs> success. Like I just, what is, what is that? What is that even about? You know, because it kind of seems like he's kind of a crazy person, frankly. Yeah, he's definitely very confident in what he's going to do. And I'm not sure if that confidence is based on reality, to be completely honest with you. All right, Jeremy Gorner wrote a piece in the Tribune. And I got to tell you, I, for the life of me, couldn't exactly figure out what the superintendent was talking about. Was <laughs> it? Me too. Right? Well, he was talking about... He was going to, he's getting away from specialized unit, okay? But he's going to get away from specialized units, but I'm going to create this specialized unit right. that is going to help bring down violence. But it's not all enforcement. It is also going to be somewhat community policing based. Yes. Yes. He said he was going to uh, create a roving unit which would be the specialized units that come and go with every police chief. They go one way, then they go the other. But he just, he described it as a significant community policing oriented unit that would drive all over the city, which <laughs> drive all over the city, like doing good deeds. Well, that's like the cynical version of community policing. You know, that's not, if it's community policing, you're in one neighborhood and you're establishing relationships and being part of the neighborhood. The, the cynical version of community policing is that this is just a PR effort. And we want, we, we're, we're trying to make you think we're officer friendly, but there's definitely a contradiction there. It just didn't make any sense. Well, you know, we're going to have a guest on the podcast and our Facebook live series in a couple of weeks. I think on June 17th, Barry Friedman from NYU Law wrote a great book on policing without consent. He's written a great recent law school article, law journal article about disentangling what the police do. But in his book, he talks about how there's no consistent defini uh, definition of community policing. Mm -hmm. And if you look wide enough around the country, departments have actually started and funded SWAT teams under the yeah. definition of community policing. Right. So, well, yeah, I mean, in tradition, right, you exactly. And if you're using in your application, right. And you so, how it serves. Exactly. And exa exactly. And I, I, I thought, I thought the piece by Gorner was poorly reported because it didn't make any sense. I, I wasn't a hundred percent clear what his idea was. Right. And, I agree. you know, this is a flyer by the superintendent to see reaction because he didn't say he was going to do it. He didn't say he had a firm plan. This was just an idea off the cuff. And to me, I thought, well, you should push back and flush out ideas. Is he going to do it or isn't he? And what specifically is it going to do? I, I've talked to a policing expert and one, the, the one that I reached out to about this very article said, well, it's not the worst idea trying to have like a roving unit that comes into a community that's suffering and both do some enforcement and also try to do some things that leave a lasting benefit to the community. I don't know if I agree with it. I think that the big failure here in the media is that what both Mayor Lightfoot and Brown are talking about community policing and how much they favor and how much they like it. I would have to assume Lightfoot's talking about the Chicago version. What does she like about it? What was success? Does anyone think that was successful? What, what exactly is that? And what does Brown think is successful? Because if he didn't bring homicides down in Dallas and to bring other violent crime down, he had to manipulate crime statistics. Then how was community policing successful in Dallas? I don't understand. Right. No, I mean it's just a, it's a it's a I, I think it 
originally was a real thing with a real concept, but it, it's, it very quickly just became a buzzword that, as you said, it means a lot of different things to different people. And as far as I think the way it was originally envisioned, I don't think we've ever truly had it in Chicago. The, you and I have discussed this a lot in the past, and you've, you've kind of got your, you know more intimately about how this has and hasn't worked in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, this, it's the thing that, you know, every incoming police chief says. Every incoming police chief says two things, community policing and we're going to build more trust in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They've been saying we're going to build more trust for 50 years. But, you know, like, and why does the media let them get away with It's like, look, police chiefs have been saying that forever. Like, what makes, what are you going to do that's different? What? Community police? I mean, we've been hearing that. You know, give me three things that you're going to do different that's going to build trust in neighborhoods. We've been hearing that for decades. Right. And. There's, you know, if you're paying attention to Twitter at all, I think it's been pretty funny lately. The superintendent, they had a, a string of Chicago police cars with their sirens around on driving around the city last night. If you see, there was a, if you pay attention to Twitter in Chicago, there was a video of them driving on Roosevelt and I think turning on Michigan Avenue. And then there was, we tweeted out yesterday, supposedly, I've, got sources to say it's legitimate about them doing various that various thing in certain intersections and in certain parts of the city where they're blinking the red light no their 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 lights are on and their sirens are on oh oh and no yeah and they're, i'm sorry that was also yes the blinking the red light there are certain intersections where they've set the red light to blink and the police advised i guess each other you tweeted this out there will be, there's good chance there'll be an increase in accidents because of this, but, and so that's one of the things that Brown also said in one of these pieces, I, I could look at my notes and find out which one we get to it, but he said that he, he, he likes police to be seen. He doesn't think that the police are seen and that they're not visible enough. And all I can say is, damn, in the, the neighborhood's you know, with the biggest problems, they're seeing way too much of the police, aren't they? Like, you can't tell me the police aren't visible in these neighborhoods. That's insane. Yeah, and it, I, I think I tweeted this out, but I may not. Maybe it was just a friend text. I'm in D.C. now, and um, D.C. had the same issue 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I used to come here regularly for CJP, maybe 10, 11 years ago. I would come here, and you would see these strobe, strobe, white strobe lights on the, on the cars, and they'd be flashing all the time. Every time they were driving, the, the light would just flash. And I asked people and they said, well, it's because people in communities don't think they're seeing the police enough. And the police said they're there. So they put these strobe lights on the cars so people would recognize that they were there. And I don't think you're going to see the south or west sides. Many citizens are complaining about not seeing the cops. That right. is not a violence reduction strategy. No, and especially when they're under such heavy surveillance. I mean, all the the blue light cameras and all the other kinds of cameras and so on in those areas. It's, you know, I, I looked it up. That was in WGN's report uh, on Friday. We don't see the police enough, he said. A guiding principle for Brown is making officers more visible in the communities they serve. <laughs> and see, that, ladies and gentlemen, is... The difference between having people believe 
that you're doing better or that you're trying to do things and then actually doing the things, actually reducing homicides. I don't think Brown's ready for the Chicago media. I don't think he's ready for the relentless push of the Twitter bot, the Twitter trolls that we have here that told, that tweet out the scanner 24 hours a day, pray and exploit violence and crime here. But if he doesn't reduce violence, gun uh, shootings and gun violence and homicides, I don't think people are going to really fall for these gimmicks. They're not going to care about strobing lights. They're not going to care about flashing lights at intersections. I don't understand what he thought that was going to do. Yes, and did he really big. think, you know, does he think that some, some young urban resident, let's do the stereotypical male, young, of color, that has a gun that wants to go engage in violence is going to stop because he sees the light at an intersection near his home blinking? Yeah. I don't understand if that's... Of a blinking red, I'm afraid of a blinking red light. I mean, this is a big city, and uh, I think you're right. That kind of stuff doesn't fly here. It just... Um, I, yeah, so I don't know. I think the media in general has let him, and there's going to be a lot more of this, they've let him slide on all these claims about Dallas for the most part. The EZ's pushing back a little bit. They would only go look at the Dallas Morning News about his crime manipulation. That would be great. We have a scoop coming out, hopefully in a few weeks, about research we have done on him. I'm just sad. I think that WGN piece was done by Ben Bradley. It was. There was some I don't news know what... in that piece. Go ahead. I was just saying, there was some news in that piece that didn't really get uh, noticed, which is... In, in my view, this is news, is that Brown essentially came out against beat realignment. He said he, uh, he's not in favor of shifting officers from relatively safe communities to ones plagued by crime. And his quote was, taking from one area to give to another, I don't like that. We may have short-term violence spikes to address law, but long-term, we don't want to do that. Well, for one thing, they're not short-term violence spikes in, in these neighborhoods that need help. Wait, you mean a 50-year 50, a 50 problem with violence? Or 40 <laughs> or 30 or 20? It can't be put down right. by shifting cops for two hours at a time? Right. And I think we, we probably agree that there's no known relationship that we know of between the number of cops and crime rates, right? But Right. At the same time, it would make sense to put the police officers in areas that need it more. Now, caveat, some neighborhoods are, you could argue, are over-policed. So it does start to become a tricky, you know, where you put your, your officers, but but the idea that you would, I mean, the real reason that, that people in the city have always kind of been against realigning your beats to where, uh, the, where you know, people live, more like it should maybe be, uh, well, based on, on population and crime and a whole mix of things. And especially if you're going to have community policing, it's about beats. But the real reason for all these years, we all know, is because people in white neighborhoods will throw a fit if you take away three of their cops to send to yep. a poor black neighbor. We, I am convinced that that 
that topic was a prerequisite for his being offered the job. Beat realignment had to be off the table because it's way too much of a political hot potato, even for our so independently minded, independently driven, we'll do what's best science-backed mayor, right? So we, we saw where that went because if she was truly independent, the first thing on our agenda would be beat realignment. And maybe the way to really do this is, wow, let's look at all the areas that are not experiencing high levels of violence. And maybe we realign those beats and we take those resources and we take them out of to the, the police department altogether and put them into economic development, community development in communities that are hard hit by violence. That's a very interesting idea. Right. There's all kinds of ways. I know I talked to a, a watch commander. I had a source and it was a watch commander in Austin. And he once told me, and then in other districts, and he once told me, he goes, you know what? I basically Monday through Wednesday, Thursday, I have too many cops on average nights, especially in the winter. I have too many. He goes, but Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I could use a lot. And we could argue about that, but it shows that a simple beat realignment would probably help, but it wouldn't because of the union contract and the issues we have with being able to schedule people when you actually need them, they can't align resources the way they would really need to, like any other business would. Maybe, right? maybe they should do like the fire department then and do like three days off, a week, four days off, or I mean, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, right. And Ben Bradley should have pushed back on that. Why aren't you doing beat realignment? Is it not needed? What does the science say? There's obvious science to answer, to, co to compare that. And why would he be, what in his history would make him completely against beat realignment? Yeah, I mean, I wonder how the beats were aligned then in Dallas. And that's, again, something a reporter who's actually getting paid to do this, unlike us, should spend some time looking into. Oh, don't ask them. I think I, I asked Fran, if she could Google the morning on Twitter, I asked Fran something about if she could Google the morning news and put David Brown's name in and see what comes up and read it. And someone criticized me on Twitter for like asking real reporters to use Google. <laughs> and I was like, well, well, it would sadly be an improvement. Well, Fran Spielman is the one who wrote upon David Brown's arrival that David Brown got, in her words, generally good marks from the Dallas media, which I don't think is true insofar as the Dallas Morning News, which is the biggest paper there, the only daily. Um, I think they tussled with him quite a bit. They did, and he tussled with reporters, and he didn't like reporters. One reporter, to show you how he's not going to get along in Chicago, the story goes, and I heard this from sources in Dallas, that he had an interview scheduled with a reporter, and the reporter got to this headquarters, Dallas Police headquarters, and he had actually scheduled the press conference. They had somehow either manipulated, lied, or just incredibly incompetently planned this interview. And that reporter was unhappy. And this reporter had some words to say about him that included some four-letter word or colorful language. Mm -hmm. And he took it. He, that was a massive, massive grievance he had. How dare they? I've spoken to some people down there and I was like, how is he going to survive in Chicago? Right. He went, he recommended that a reporter be fired. Right. You know, not going to survive here.
But I think, you know, he, he'll survive for a, a little while like he is now when the media is in their normal soft mode. But once something controversial happens, what tends to happen is that all the media kind of gang up and, and, and get repetitive. And, and there's so many more media outlets here than there are in Dallas. I'm not sure he knows what he'll be in for when everyone goes after him at once on, you know, something, even something stupid. I think that's when, that's when we'll see what he's made of. Yeah, I think the first three or four weekends in a row with summer violence numbers, that's an, another episode for us coming up talking about Memorial Day reporting and past Memorial Day reporting. So we'll let's not cover that now, but okay. you rack up a few of that. Obviously, COVID-19 had an impact on the violence early. It has since um, come back fiercely and come back so that the numbers are in excess of what they were last year. I don't see anything in Brown's history that shows that he's going to be able to slow those numbers. I don't think any flashing lights at any intersections or seven or eight squad cars riding around with their lights on are going to prevent them. I, you know, I, I think a late June, early to mid July reckoning for Brown is coming. Speaking of COVID, by the way, I'm trying to find it in my notes. I think maybe it was in the WBEZ interview, but in one of the interviews, I thought he also made news that didn't get picked up on, where he was talking about the federal consent decree, and he is in favor of it, uh, and he supposedly, Dallas, while they weren't under a federal consent decree, he claimed in, in one of these pieces that he went, uh, um, here, here it is, he claimed in the, uh, I guess this is in the Sun-Times piece, he said the consent decree is a low standard. And the Sun-Times says that while he was in Dallas, he examined consent decrees in other major American cities and implemented those changes in Dallas without having a court force them to. Now, first, I'd like to have that vetted, but maybe that's true. But the news part is that he said, and then now I think this was in the WBEZ piece, he said that because of the coronavirus, the resources put towards that, he's expecting that they'll get uh, like some delays in the milestones they need to meet uh, for the consent decree. And that may be fair to do, or it may not. I don't no, I don't, I haven't examined that, but I thought that was news. Like, I thought that could be a story like, you know, coronavirus may delay consent decree. You know, police chief will be looking for delays or something like that. Doesn't mean he's necessarily doing something sneaky. I don't know, maybe, right. but uh, you think it could he... totally be legit. But uh, I thought that was newsworthy too, and it didn't really get picked up on. I agree. And I think that they should have reached out to the monitor and her staff yes. and said, what do you think about that? And also, I mean, for a, a follow-up, had BEZ or anyone really dug into what was going on in Dallas under his tenure, they would have said, well, when you talk about having these consent decree as the bare standard and you always exceeded them, was there some standard that allowed 
what what standard allowed you to recategorize aggravated assaults and aggravated batteries in a way that let them drop off the numbers that you reported to the FBI? And when the oh, Dallas Morning News went to vent, vent that by the FBI, those definitions and the Texas Bureau of Public Safety and Sam Walker, an expert, policing expert that I know from the University of Omaha, they all said you moved further away from the FBI definition so far that it, you're reporting your numbers made no sense. Hello? Yeah. So, you know, that could have easily been included as a follow-up had they known that. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I, the lack of really examining this guy's record in Dallas and then using that, first of all, to vet the claims and then also to use it at, in a sense as a measuring stick, you know, or, or something of that sense, something in that sense. Um, and in fact, you reminded me uh, when you mentioned the union leadership in Dallas, um, this was in the in the Sun-Times story. It said, uh, uh, Brown said he hopes to persuade Kadanzara, is that how you pronounce his name? I the think so. FOP, the new FOP president who is the first that sometimes wrote uh, John Catanzara, who who's suspended, has a really horrible record, won a runoff election against union president Kevin Graham, whose administration was highly resistant to the consent decree. First of all, they weren't highly, highly resistant. They were vehemently against. OK, let's just yeah. make that right. clear. But then, then he writes, uh, this is Sam Charles, right, at the Sun-Times? Yep. Is that who it was? Yeah. It Brown was. said he hopes to persuade Catanzara the same way he won over union leadership in Dallas. I, I could be missing something, but I don't think he won over union leadership in Dallas. He did not. Um, if, you call fact, for, if you call ganging up for wanting against you and enforcing your right. removal from the office, that by means, that, that's a one over I would like a life of. Right. I went, I looked, I actually looked this up and uh, found a, a, a clip right there. I think this was the Dallas Morning News. In fact, in March 2016, all four police associations joined together to call for Brown's ouster as chief. Not only that, but it was the second attempt to oust Brown in about six months. Now, it's possible that I'm missing some kind of persuasion he did. I mean, what was 20? Wasn't that the year he did retire? Yes. So yep. he didn't. I mean, he was at to his credit, he was battling with the they don't have unions there. They have associations, right? Yep. To his credit, he was battling those police associations all along. And the police associations thought that he he fired too many cops. At least that's the way I I. From the, so again, that's just that's just wrong. I mean, it, since that guy is, you know, your Sun-Times reporter, major metropolitan paper, you're getting paid fairly well. Can't, why can't you do right. your job? I did it in 30 seconds. I mean. Right. And, you know, it's very, his lies are very Trumpian because they're, you can, you can prove, you can prove that they're objectively right. false. It's well, not that, hard. I guess. Like, right. And, and just, I want to clear up a data point for everyone. Okay. Homicides in his first year were 148. In his last year, which is 2016, I believe, which I believe he left before the end of the year, yeah. had 172 murders. Wow. So that's 26 more than his first year, which is roughly 
around 15, 18%, somewhere in that range more and, than his first he year. Was under, he was under a lot of pressure, including media coverage, for he had gotten a lot of credit when crime rates went down. Now we've yes. since learned that those were juked. But then he got a lot of blame when the, when crime rates went back up and, the, and these murders. And, you know, he... When he left, it was called a retirement. But the council was debating his future. They were debating about whether to fire him down there. So I don't yeah. know if he retired or if he was pushed out, frankly. Well, he, he retired like Rom retired. Right, right. Right. I mean, and just, just on that last point, just one more point yeah. before we wrap up here. This is the pro one of the problems in policing nationwide, especially from 1990 through 2016, 15, 16 is that through that time, violence dropped in this country two, three, four percent every year around the country. Pretty much, you know, comparatively, all the time, every year, tick, 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 tick. And every police department and every police superintendent and every police union chief took credit for that. And lo and behold, the late, you know, mid 2010s come and numbers don't go so well at places. And they start ticking up in places. Chicago was one of them. And it happened to McCarthy. Oh, wait a minute. You took credit for the drop. Now the increase is your fault. And here's the truth. The reality is they may have had no role in either. Or right. the best year that Brown may have had could have been 2016. Because there, for whatever reason that had nothing to do with police, it could have been a really violent year. Yeah. It had nothing to do with policing. And actually had them not really done some great things. We could add 210 murders in Dallas. Right. But because of those great things, they ended up 172. You don't get that kind of depth of analysis, in, in, especially in the journalism we see on crime reporters, right? right. You just right. don't see that. That's why you get unfairly police chiefs are stuck with, you took the credit and I'll take the blame. Yeah. Well, and, and that point is exactly something that Jeremy Garner did in that Tribune article is he, he kept tying he, he did two things he kept tying the crime rate crime and or murder rate like i don't know if it was specifically the murder rate to the existence of these special units then yes. they got rid of it and then crime went up so then they brought it back that's the reason they gave he would write it backfired so they brought specifically made a claim there as a reporter yes he did that we don't call. know that there's a causal relationship and then he kept talking about Brown's record in Dallas on reducing homicides, which you've just explained isn't really what happened. And, you know, the way we tie these things to police chiefs without looking at the broader trends is, um, is just not good journalism. And if I could just add one more thing, you're yep. right that in the 90s, like the murder rate was going down everywhere, or was it in the 90s? In, yep. Except in Chicago, but no one blamed Daly. I remember writing about this at the time. No one blamed Daly, but then when they started going down, he got all the credit. <laughs> it was yeah. Great, no, and that's yeah. No, and no, that's exactly that's exactly correct, and that's a huge problem. And the reality is, you have to do really sophisticated, high level, and I know everyone hates academics, but you got to do academic research. You got to look at all these variables that could possibly play a role. And I have this issue to wrap up is, you know, there's this 
Lightfoot has been a year in office now, and she's had the pl- the I'm going to call it the plague, COVID nineteen <laughs> to deal with, and the CTU CTU strike. But basically, I would say in our Justice Thirteen survey, none of the reforms she promised are have been implemented. You know, they tried to do that community board, but it didn't have a whole lot of partner power. And one of the aspects I'm trying to get them on the podcast to talk about it, uh, the group that's writing that, CPAC and GAPA, but the, they have the GAPA version is we will create evaluations of superintendents. I looked in the academic research. I can't find any. Prove me one that's good and sound. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to hear ideas, but I don't know of one. Yeah. Evaluating municipal police departments is very tricky and very hard and has got to take a multitude of factors into play. I don't know how they're going to come up with something that's sound to evaluate the police chief. Yeah. And that was the problem, I think, in Oakland, where they fired that community board, fired a past the last set when they hired, when they ended up with Eddie Johnson. The last group of candidates had a female, which I can't remember her name. I think it was Ann something. So and if yeah. it is your name, I apologize. Patrick, but Patrick, I think. Yeah, I think it's Anchor Patrick. You're right. You know, she picked up in Oakland and they the board fired her because of problems with her. And they were talking about they didn't like the job she was doing, but they didn't have any objective way of evaluating set up. Right. So I, right. I, I think that's a problem. And at, unfortunately, left in that void, we're getting these the media focusing on homicide numbers and shooting numbers yes. as, the, as the way to evaluate these people. Because you know what doesn't matter is domestic violence, sexual assault, armed robbery. None of those things matter. We won't look at those. Yeah. It's only shootings and homicides that matter. Yeah, right. Right. Okay. Steve Rhodes, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, everyone, we're hopefully to be back in about a week with these. And we're going to look at um, anytime they're being spun. We're going to look at the news coverage. We're going to look at trends. Reporting about holiday weekends. That's going to be one of my favorite upcoming episodes. We have, I have some great interns looking into that. We just passed one and, oh, the murder count in the most violent in five years. Oh, my God. They only had some context to that. We might be better off. Rhodes, thank you very much. Everyone else will be back next week with the next show.